Welcome to the Film Gods podcast, everyone. This episode, I want to let you know about a great man who is feeding our doctors and nurses. Philip Juma, head chef and founder of Juma Kitchen, didn't want to put his incredible skills of making delicious food, and I've tasted it, it's amazing, to waste during lockdown. So when Borough Market closed its doors, he took it upon himself to feed our NHS staff. He's single-handedly making hundreds of meals for them every week. And if you want to help feed our heroes, go to Juma kitchen.com yeah i'm saying it again that's jumakitchen.com and donate let's clap them on the thursday and feed them on a friday massive love and respect going out for juma kitchen let's get started hola film family i'm isusko your host aka the time scheduler Welcome to the Film Gods podcast, which is a chat with the best of the UK film crew who make all of those beautiful moving images you watch every day. I want to give a special thanks to Island Studios for the recording space. Thank you, Mark, Mitch, Pauline and the whole team. And wherever you're listening, hope you enjoy. Big love. So, hi, film family. Um, this is going to be just an incredible episode because it's with a man who I've learned and been on sets with and once you're on a set of his yeah that's it you've kind of ticked the box and it's like you're at the top you've you're working with the best people on the best jobs in the best creative environment that you could ever have and you know thank you covid for this for giving me <laughs> the time to be able to to have him in a room for 45 minutes um you'll all know him you know different names the presidente is the one that i love the most um, so, sir, what is your name and what do you do on a call sheet? Oh, what an introduction. Uh, my name is Johnny Frankel and uh, I, I have been on the call sheet as president, I believe. Uh, sometimes <laughs> executive producer and sometimes mostly, uh, and the one I like the most, uh, producer. That is, okay. uh, that is how I like it, really. And what's the, what's the difference then between the two? Is one more um, hands-on? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, 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 I've got a sort of... A theory about titles which is that they're a bit of a waste of time um i know that i know that in some industries uh and in fact in agencies for instance i think uh, they tend to there's a sort of legality behind them i think or it's to do with you know their pay grade and things like that so they get a job title and then that entitles them to a certain level of pay or something but obviously in, in, mm -hmm. in production companies that that totally doesn't apply so uh i put president uh, uh of rattling stick uh on the website because uh, I thought it was funny, and, uh, and then for some reason I put uh, I put a, a capital T at the end of president, and I'm I, I used to think that was funny. I'm not so sure anymore. Um, uh, so that was sort of an agreement between Ring and, and Danny, my partners at Rattling Stick. Uh, they were fine with it. So, uh, but I like producer. I like producer because I think uh, it, it. You know, when I see producer, I just think of somebody who just gets on with it and, and you know does their job. When I see executive producer. I do sometimes imagine a person in a pair of nice tasseled loafers uh, uh, drinking a cappuccino at the back and chatting with the clients and agency, which is totally yeah. fine. And there's a part of the yeah, job. Yeah. I kind of like to get my hands dirty. I always have. Um, so so I, I think producers, it feels honest. It feels straightforward. People know what you do. And, uh, you know, uh, and I think you may, perhaps you make yourself slightly more approachable as well. Mm. So I guess to, to become the exec, 
producer the product that you know the production chain feels like the route in did you did you just jump in at a company wow. and just start saying right let's make some stuff or did you come in as a runner what what's what's yeah. your what's your background sir yeah well I, i'll try and keep this as brief as possible um it's a sort of an interesting path i think uh it certainly was for me um I, my first ever job uh, was a tennis coach obviously wow. uh, so straight out of school uh I went to, yeah i went to tennis camp I was a decent junior and I played a reasonably, I got to junior county uh, uh, level of tennis and, uh, and I, I managed to scrape together, I, I'm old so these are O levels, I got five in the end after a few goes uh, and then you know got the option to um, go into A levels or, or to um, uh, work and I just didn't want to carry on with school, I, I, I didn't really enjoy it and I liked working and so I became a tennis coach, uh, I took an exam, I passed the exam, I joined a tennis centre in North East England and from there, uh, I uh, came back to London after a year or two, coached tennis in London for a bit. And around about, I think, 2021, 20, I was maybe, maybe 20, um, I got a job as a runner uh, at Simi Ingle Sound Studios, which is uh, it's a building that still exists in Berwick Street now. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it was a dubbing studio and it was um, uh, for mostly for TV, a little bit of feature film and the occasional commercial. But that's, you know, we're talking about you know, film, 35 mil, 16 mil, yep. um, and, all, and, and all, the, all the sound was all on, 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 you know, mags of sound, magnetic sound tape. Uh, and I was a runner. What was so the route in there? You know, How did you, to, to just well, like it, tennis it was, coach it was, to it was, most, yeah, that work? Excellent, excellent question. I'm afraid that there was a little bit of nepotism at play here. My dad uh, was okay. a dentist. My yeah. dad was a dentist, and he had, uh, for, uh, as long as I can remember, all my life, as far as, far as I, I, can, I can remember, um, uh, a nurse who assisted him called Rosie, lovely Rosie, who had a friend called Lynn, and Lynn was the studio manager. And my dad knew that I wasn't really enjoying the coaching anymore. I was coaching in London, and it was like raining, and you know, it just was hard. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, so he mentioned it, I guess, in conversation. She said, oh, I've got a friend called Lynn. She runs a dubbing studio, um, why, and they're looking for a runner. Why don't you go and have an interview? And I, I knew so little at this point uh, that when I went for the interview, she said to me, do you know what we do and I said not really but isn't dubbing like what they do on top of the pops when people are singing along to the track but actually they're not really singing along to the track and she sort of smiles wistfully and and thought yeah not really uh but somehow <laughs> I charmed her with other bits of me uh read into that what you will and um uh, yeah they gave me a job so it was you know making tea and coffee and you know yeah. when michael winner would come to the uh, studio to do his work he'd, he'd wee all over the toilet seat and i'd have to clean that off so you know i did get my hands dirty from from an early early age um and i just came up through the ranks so i start i was there uh, i became a, a trainee projectionist from runners runners trainee projectionist trainee projectionist i went into the sound department and became a, a, a trainee sound engineer i moved into the studio and I was an assistant dubbing mixer in the studio. Um, I then moved to Twickenham Film Studios. Actually, I went via Ladbroke Films, which is a mad director called Tony Palmer, who built a sound studio in the basement of his house in Ladbroke Grove, quite, quite bonkers. Uh, so I worked there in the back room for a bit and then met a guy there who was the son of the head mixer at Twickenham. And he took me to a new studio they opened at Twickenham Film Studios where I went on the desk. So I was a second assistant dubbing mixer. One of my, one of my favorite, uh, claims to fame is if you go to uh, I'm pretty sure it's on IMDb if you go to IMDb and you look at a film called Cry Freedom uh, you will see uh, a second assistant dubbing mixer Jonathan Frankel which has yeah, to is. be one of the longest credits ever in the history of credits it reads for hours 
I took all the family to Leicester Square. Get in. And it was, uh, and it up it came, and it was a very proud moment. It was brilliant. Um, so yes, yeah, so I was the second assistant dub mixer there, and from there I moved into editing. Worked at a company called DGW, where I was an assistant sound editing editor. or okay, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, sound yeah. editing. No, 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 no. Sorry, no, no, no. That was this was picture editing. So this was assistant mix uh, uh, editor, but uh, it was yep. film. That so was pre-added. Oh, okay. It was all film, yeah, yeah. thirty-five six mil, right? So okay, you know, steam bags and um, pick sinks and movie editors and all that stuff. Wow. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Uh, I absolutely loved it, and it was full of you know people just like me who really you know like to have a good time, but also work very hard. Yeah. Uh, so it was really fun, and that was really my introduction into hardcore advertising because that's just what we did. We just had edited adverts, and there, whilst I was there, I met uh, a producer called Pauline Hurst, who produced for Chris Hartwell, who we edited for. Um, Piers Douglas was my very dear friend, who's tragically no longer with us, um, uh, and he was an old old friend of mine, and I was his assistant. He would cut for. Uh, 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 Chris and, and so I met Pauline who was the producer and in passing in a conversation at some point I mentioned how I'd quite like to do the switch from editing to production and amazingly about two weeks later her you know the world famous production assistant manager a lady called Catherine Flanagan who was incredible was generally considered to be the, the, the absolute pick of the top top mm. people uh, and been with Pauline for years just decided to go back to Australia where she came from out of the blue, two weeks prior to this, I'd mentioned to Pauline that I'd quite like to get into production. And Pauline and I had always got on very well. Uh, and she felt, you know, I'd make a good production assistant. Um, so I interviewed with the very, very famous, slightly terrifying Joe Godman, uh, uh, who sent me on a touch typing course. Um, wow. uh, yeah, which is why this is, you know, this is, uh, this is a good uh, 25 years ago. And um, yeah, they gave me the job and that was my route into production. And from there, I just moved from production assisting to production managing to producing to, to where I am today via three or four different production companies. Now that jump, because it sounds like you were kind of really going up the chain of kind of post and editing and thing, and that, like it didn't feel like you were that far away from being the top of that editing Chain. how like the jump Good, back hey, down that's, yeah that's a great question that's a great question i'll tell you exactly what there's absolutely a definitive moment uh, uh and um because we were because we were because there was film not digital right so we we used to run the rushes for the directors right those those people listening who are old enough will remember this but we used to have to you know editors assistant editors would get up at two in the morning and go to the laboratories and pick up the film and the sound if there was sound if it was a if it was a sound production if not then just the film and you'd have to log all the negative so you knew you know where all the shots were so when the editors are, are, are cutting it together you can find shots of you know slates and all that stuff and uh, if it was synced you'd have to sync the sound up with a clapperboard and you know and the sound the clap on the, on the soundtrack and um then you take them to a viewing theater to show them to the director at sort of seven in the morning at somewhere like mr young's or something like that delaine lee they had a viewing theater and you turn up you know with all the sound all sunk up in the picture all ready to go and the director will come in with the editor and they'd sit and watch the rushes that that's kind of how it worked right but because um chris was very busy at that time chris hartwell the director i was his pa uh, sorry, but before I was his PA, when I was assistant editor, uh, he was shooting in France and they wanted somebody to come out and run the rushes for him on, on a daily basis. I think it was a three-day shoot, if I remember. So we literally, I took a portable 35mm projector to France, set it up in a hotel bedroom, and every yeah. morning after the first shoot, then the second, third, fourth shoot days, you know, whatever, um, yeah, we'd, we'd sit in his, bed, in his hotel room uh, with a 35mm projector and I'd run the rushes for him. 
And I loved it. It was, I just thought, wow, this is, I mean, you know, we're talking, as I say, we're sort of talking, I don't know, what my 50, nearly 56, actually 25-ish years, something like that. I can't remember. Something like 20, 25 years ago. And so there's all these, you know, brilliant film crew. We all know how brilliant film crew can be, you know, Mm. on the whole, really. And I was meeting these guys, you know, John Fleming, Gary, um, Gary Spratling, Lee Gold, you know, all these just brilliant people. And I was like, oh my God, this is, I've never had so much fun. I can't actually even believe they're paying me to do this. It was just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be in production because this, I want to be with these people and I want to travel with them and I want to meet them. You know, I just, it just really, something clicked inside of me. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess slightly, I didn't really have much, I didn't have a natural feeling for editing. I still don't actually. It's a bit embarrassing really being as old as I am and having done it as long as I have that I don't really have a really good sense of editing. I'm, I'm much better because I've been very lucky to work with Danny Kleinman for the last oh, nearly, well, 18, 19 years nearly now. And uh, I've learned an absolutely massive amount from him uh, in the mm-hmm. customer room um, as, as well as everywhere else. But, but uh, at the time, I just didn't really feel, it wasn't my, I didn't, I wasn't in the customer room thinking, yeah, you know what, I can see myself being, an editor, and the same sort of applied with the sound thing. I mean, I really loved my time at Twickenham Film Studios. I've got some great stories, um, you know, playing football with, with John Cleese in the dubbing studio in between work wow. and things like, yeah, I've got tons of them. Yeah, so it. fun. But I never felt a passion. And then when I went on set and I was like seeing these film crew, watching them working and watching the producer and production manager working while I was the assistant editor, I thought, this, this is for me. This is, I, I feel like this is something I could do. And I guess I suppose, when you look at where I am today, and, and, and I, I, put, I put my hands up, I was really lucky to, to be taken on by some brilliant people who showed me a lot of patience and guidance. Uh, you know, the film crew I just mentioned, for instance, is a perfect example. Those guys just taught me so much and were so, so lovely to me. Um, you know, they, 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 they took me in as one of their own. And you, we all know it cannot always be like that. Um, and yeah, and I just knew, I just knew that was it. I was like, this is for me. This is where I need to be. And I guess it worked out. Nice. And production yeah. specifically, you didn't kind of go on a film set and go, oh, wow, look, that first AD or that DOP. Or oh, that God, thing. no, they all work far too hard. Christ, no, 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 no. I'm not that hard to work on. No, our production was for me all day long. I mean, I'm sitting those guys running around in 45 degrees heat in the Karoo Desert whilst the director's sitting under an umbrella smoking a cigar. And I'm thinking, no, you're right. I'll, 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 I know where I'll, I want to I'll, go. I'll stay in the shade and make sure my producer's got everything she needs. Um, yeah, no, right. I didn't. There wasn't really a grade on the set that I looked at. And thought, I mean, I've always admired. I mean, I grips like I suppose if I, I know there'll be grips out there potentially listening, going, "Are oh, you fucking having a lot?" But I have to say, there is something, something about watching a grip put a really tricky track down in a really tricky environment, and you just watch it unfold, and it's 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 genius. It's amazing. It's what the way they use it, the way they level it in these different terrains. You know, you're thinking about ground moving underneath the track and how they how they brace it. It's just it's a it's, I guess it's like grown up Lego, isn't it? Really, or Meccano. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? So 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 I've always sort of slightly had my eye on you know that, that I would have thought it, I would have loved to have learned that it's almost engineering. Well, it is engineering. So so yeah. there's something about that job job that I. Do I have a I have a massive respect for all film crew? Let's just get that out there. Every single person on that set has my respect because they all work hard and, and they're all excellent at what they do. But there was something about just watching people putting track together and how they built it over a period of time. It was just really cranes. The same thing with cranes, you know, council weights and all that. Russian stuff. arms and tracking vehicles. Yeah, yeah I mean that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, big yeah, yeah. toy. Who doesn't love a big toy? So yeah, but no, it was, no, no, there was really nothing really on set. I just thought yeah, yeah. no production. I felt, I felt it. I really did. I felt it. So you started off 
PA in for it sounded like someone you respected very highly. Yeah, Pauline Hurst. Yeah, I mean, she was, again, she was she was like at that time. I mean, if you you know if you were to get you know get hold of John Fleming or, or, or Gary Spratling or Lee Gold or and a number of other people as well, uh, and ask them, I'm pretty I feel relatively confident they would tell you that she was the greatest producer they ever worked with. I mean, she was amazing. Mm. She she was you know just. I mean, I, I was a bit flippant about hard work. You'll never see a harder worker than Pauline Hurst. Um, but she was she was very inspiring because she was, you know, first and foremost, she was a she was she knew how to treat people, you know. And a lot of people didn't back in the day. I mean, it's not so bad now. But I mean, I'm sure you've heard, and I'm sure all your listeners will have all heard the, the stories of, you know insane you know demands made by directors and i'm not saying that directors shouldn't make insane demands i mean they should push production as hard as as hard as possible to get the best possible results but when you're you know talking about sort of you know delivering a frozen mars bar up a mountain you know ten thousand feet and it has to be cut up into small pieces you start slightly losing the will to live so 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 um but she just was so good with her crew and just the way she dealt with people and so fair and that was all about you know there are directors that i'm I, I, several many i've worked with you know couldn't really you know were frustrated you had to break for an hour for lunch but she was she taught me look look at them look at the crew look how hard they were look how they need a break they need an hour to just 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 to wind down and have a little moment and then they can come back and then they, you know and then the afternoons go really well it's a false economy you, you i mean we, listen we've all done it you, sometimes you have no choice it's a, it's a tricky decision to make but you, you you watched how a crew performs after that an hour's break at lunch and watch how they how they perform when they haven't they get tired it's you can't not it's human nature you have to get tired because you, you need a break and she was fierce about that stuff oh she used to row you know and 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 and, and with the director you know and, and chris was a, he was a great man he was a brilliant director and I, I loved working for him you know um so there's nothing bad to say about him at all but but it just it just sometimes they've got i guess the director's got a, a groove on and he just doesn't want to break it because he wants to yeah, keep momentum but sometimes you've got to look at the bigger picture and see that you've still got another six or seven hours on the back end of a day in the heat and you've got to give these guys a drink of water something to eat and a moment to contemplate um so so you know that's what she taught me she taught me the value of well she taught me many things but the, i think the most important thing was just just how important it was to to see all of your crew they're all you know your friends you know I often call them my family because I still think of a lot of people yeah, out there completely. extended family and well, they need we spend to spend more time with them yeah exactly yeah exactly there are, times, exactly. There are weeks there are months where it's like you you, you get home it's 10 11 o'clock and you're up at 6 7 and you exactly. don't see yeah. they're barely awake exactly no, totally right so you know it's, it's important it's important you know they're, they're, they you need to take care of people and, and it's short-sighted to think that people can do it yeah, I mean, I, I've managed to brilliantly avoid, except for just very recently, unbelievably, working in the music video world. Um, not through any, I didn't set out that way. It just happened yeah. for me. I never did a music video. I just did, funny enough, I just did one recently. But, um, nice. uh, you know, Go I can't, well. I found, uh, uh, well, it was for, uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it. I better not say. But you, okay, and most people will be able to guess who it was. But uh, yeah, it went really well. I mean, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. But it was really yeah. easy. It was not a tricky shoot, and it wasn't a long yeah. shoot. It was, you know, essentially one shot. Um, but you know, you hear these stories of 16, 18 hour days that people are put through. And you just think, oh god. I mean, it must be. They must get a point as you draw to, towards the hour twelve or thirteen, and you know that you've got another four or five hours where your heart just sinks. That's when the pizza turns up, and you go, "Yep, that's it. We're <laughs> here for the night." 
<laughs> exactly. So, so I've managed. I've managed to avoid that. I can't remember why we got onto that subject, but anyway. Um, uh, now, just, yeah. so I guess going going back to your because I guess so, so. What I tried to do with these is kind of get as much information from your experiences. So you started off as a PA, quickly moved up to PM because of your experience, or did you feel like you had to do more time as a no. PA to learn the film language? Or where were the you opposite, at? In that yeah, moment? exactly that. The opposite. No, I didn't. I didn't. I took a long time. I don't. Oh, well, I, I, I try and stab a stab at the timeline. It's a bit tricky. I'm, unfortunately, my memory's a bit short for many reasons. And anybody who knows me will probably know why. Um, but it, 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 it took about, it took a good seven or eight years to move up the chain to produce from PA. I mean, I was yeah. a PA with Pauline. I guess I was a PA with Pauline at RSA for just under two years. Um, uh, sorry, just under three years. Um, and that was definitely full-on PA. No, we near production manager. And then I got taken to... I went, well, I had a very brief six months where I worked uh, as a, I left the business and went and worked for a restaurant that my dad owned, but I just didn't like the, the, the restaurant business. It wasn't for me. And I really miss, actually, interestingly enough, I really miss production. I can't remember why. I, I think I left because my dad wanted help in the restaurant. It sounded like a nice idea as a family business. And I think I, 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 I just thought I'd give it a go. And so I just chef. didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was a general manager, actually. So it wasn't, I felt, you know what, I'll tell you exactly what it was. I didn't feel justified in the position. I mean, it was obviously great from family restaurant because you've got, yeah. your, the, the owner's got his son basically looking at everything. So if there's things that go wrong or if there's money that goes missing or anything, then you know you've got your son in there watching that. So I, I think in my head, I like the idea of a family business. I think my mum and dad did. I think that made a lot of sense. Um, but I didn't feel like I had, I, I didn't feel justified in the position of general manager of two restaurants. I'd done no training. I've never even served in a restaurant. I, mean, I know a lot of people did in their student days and stuff. And I never did. So I just felt like I didn't earn, I didn't have the right to be there. And I yeah. felt like the staff probably looked at me and thought, why, you know, why is this guy here? And I didn't know the business. I had to learn it. Anyway, it lasted six months. It wasn't for me. And, and, I, and I got really lucky and got invited back to the business by uh, Alicia Richards or Bernard, um, as she wants them, I think, um, as her PM, really. So I kind of did three years as a PA with Pauline and then went into Paul Whalen Film Company um, with Alicia, who I met through a friend of mine, Maya Joliffe, lovely, lovely lady. Uh, she introduced us and said, I think you'd be good for her PA. And we got like a house on fire. It was an instant success. We, we, we absolutely mm. loved each other. It was brilliant. And she was, she was producing for Frank Budgie um quite a lot wow. so i was sort of i went from sort of being a pa over at, uh, at um at rsa with a brief six months out in restaurants to sort of production managing frank budgen jobs which was quite a step up They're massive. um big you didn't you didn't <laughs> it was quite big company. yeah <laughs> it was quite big i mean i you know i, I alicia was very hands-on so she was a very much a producer's producer she wasn't it wasn't you know she wasn't it was like you know like i quite often rely heavily on my production managers these days because i'm running a company as well so i i was i actually took a lot of the heavy lifting whilst i learned but i learned far because yeah, yeah. I was sort of running. So, but that, that, so then even then, I was good three or four years before I produced. So it was about seven years from PA to producing my first job. And then when I produced my first job, it was for, uh, I think it was Mike Stevenson, for an army, COI army commercial. Actually, that was in Africa. So it was a kind of service job. So as a producer on those kind of jobs, you're, you're sort of handing it over to the local production company and you're yeah. looking after the director. So it wasn't that hard to do. Um, and 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 then I kept, went back to production managing, and then I did another job producing. I can't remember what that was. Uh, I can't remember what that one was. And then and then I do I do remember <laughs> that my then my I think it was my third ever job as a producer. 
and if you can imagine this, for anybody out there who knew Frank Budget, who I have nothing but praise, he was an absolute legend, but he was so hard to work for. And he would be the first person, I'm not speaking ill of the dead, he would be the first person to say that. He knew he was difficult to work for. Is that the Mars <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh no, he wasn't hard like that. He wasn't demanding like that. He he was demanding, and you know, in a kind of, you know, in a really. I mean, I've, the Mars bars. Just I should probably just chuck out there. It's probably not true, but it was a great story. Yeah. But it does yeah. it does give you a flavour of some of the crazy demands. There were there were some mad stories back in the day of people asking, <laughs> for, you know, kind of crazy stuff that wasn't really key to production. No, I Frank, think I should Frank, just have a Mars bar in my pocket <laughs> after every shoot. <laughs> yeah, make sure it's chopped up and frozen though. Otherwise, it'll yeah, get rejected. That's it. Um, no, no, Frank, Frank was very, very demanding, uh, it, 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 you know, because he couldn't, he, he wasn't brilliant. And he, I read this, he, he wrote, he said this in an article once that he, that he, it was, it was hard for him to get out of his, out of his head to other people, what he was thinking, he found it difficult. Mm. To tell, he knew what he wanted, but he found it quite hard to relay that to other people. And of course, from a producer's perspective, that is your worst nightmare. Because one thing you have to do is know what your director wants, yeah. so that you can give it to him. So there was a lot of stuff that that, that was frustrating because you go, "Oh, it'd be great if we had this," and you're like, "Yeah, but we're in the middle of the shoot, and you're telling me that now." And you still, you know, you still, okay, well, I'll get on the phone, and you carry on, and you'd be off on the phone saying, "Can we get it by the end of the day?" And the first AD is rejuggling the schedule to put that shot at the end of the day whilst you try and get something. I mean, it was really, really demanding. Um, to work for him, but also very rewarding because you did tend to look at the the, the, the final product and know what that is. You know, bloody brilliant, and I'm proud to have been associated with it. Yeah. Um, but he, my my third ever producing job was uh, Naomi Campbell and Frank Budgin on an wow. Olympus. I think it was an Olympus camera ad, and pretty much everything that could go wrong did. It was an absolute living hell. I can't. I still even talking about it to you now. I'm actually getting a little bit sick. I'm yeah, feeling yeah. a little bit sick. We had it was a it was a. I think we had three days with her. I think we had a couple of pickup days as well. But I think we had three days with her. And of course, you know, Naomi. This is back in the day, and Naomi was very, very famous for uh, being late. I mean, that was her thing, you know. So we were sort of all trying to prep ourselves for that. Oh, also, the other thing about Frank, you know, bless him. He basically started at five in the afternoon. That's when his day started. So you'd be in at nine o'clock in the morning, sitting there trying to get stuff done. And then he'd wander into the office at five in the afternoon. And you, that's, that, your day sort of starts again. And I, 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 did, I, I did actually develop... <laughs> double days, just years Yeah, it got a bit exhausting. Double days. It got a bit exhausting. So I sort of developed this technique of, of, of... Well, I sort of just developed this lie. And I basically... I figured out that actually the one thing you really can't object to is if, 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 if somebody says, I'd, I'd love to stay late tonight, but I can't because I'm having dinner with my mum and dad. It's very, very difficult right. to say, oh, no, no, forget that. You've got to stay. Yeah. So basically, whenever I didn't want to work late or if I'd felt like it was, you know, I'd done a full day and I had to, whatever reason, even though I was going out for a drink with my mates, I'd just say, I'll go have dinner with my mum and dad tonight, Frank, sorry. <laughs> and then that was it. So that became my like, kind. This guy, um, this Johnny guy, loves his mum and dad. <laughs> loves his mum and dad. Every single day. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so 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 he uh, so 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 uh, she was famous for being late. Um, he 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 was not exactly the best time to keep it on. So so we tried to prepare as well as we could. And of course, the first day she rolled up. I think our call was for eight, and she or her call was for eight, and she rolled up about eleven, eleven thirty. So of course, what happens then is you still have your full day to do. And we did the day, and of course, we finished sort of like four hours later than we were supposed to. So as everybody in the game will know, we now into turnaround issues and time off the clock and all that stuff and pushing call times. And then I think the second day was the worst because we had, 
shooting in a laundrette and she had about five hours of prosthetics because she was supposed to look old. And I remember she turned up late, obviously, because she also, what we didn't know at the time, we weren't told, we didn't realize she had, I think we finished at midnight on day one. And so she was called for about seven on day two. And even though that was time off the clock, we knew we had to get her in at seven in order to get the prosthetics done to have a shot of the day. It was like five hours of prosthetic makeup. Uh, but she'd got a deal with the, with the, the, her agent had a deal with the agency that said she had to have whatever, 10 hours or whatever. So she just rolled in, I think, uh, yeah, she rolled in about 11 o'clock again the next day, or it might have been later and then had five hours of prosthetic makeup. So we didn't actually get her out of her trailer and onto set in a laundrette for the first shot of the day until around about four in the afternoon or five in the afternoon. Wow. We had a lot of paparazzi got when she was there. So they were all waiting for her. Because she was supposed to be old in the ad and prosthetic makeup, they were dying to get a photograph. So we had all this security around her, trying to bring her onto set. There was pushing and shoving, a photographer went down, a camera got broken, there was a fairly unpleasant scuffle. We get her into the set. It's now about five in the afternoon. I'll never forget. I mean, we've been there all day waiting for this. I'll never forget Frank putting his eye up to the uh, camera uh, and saying, yep, I think we're ready to shoot this. At which point the sprinklers in the laundrette went off and soaked the entire step. We <laughs> oh, were diving no. for bags to put over the oh, camera. No. It, was, it was chaos. Absolute chaos. And, and <laughs> stupidly, a, a, a lesson learned... Uh, we asked the laundrette if their sprinkler system was operative and how we could shut it down. And they said, no, it's never worked. It doesn't work. And there was a light, literally, there was a lamp, you know, like about a foot underneath one of the sprinklers. And it just obviously got too hot and it oh, flooded the sky. No. The fire brigade got called. They had to come and cut out the water. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I can't even tell you, it's a miracle. It's a testament to my... A testimony to my, my you know, my... my How are you still here? I probably yeah, I don't know. distress would have done me in. I would have, that's I, it, I'm out. I did, I did take a little bit. I did, I did, I did not produce for Frank for a while after that. <laughs> the sprinklers would have gone off and I, I would have just pretended a phone call. Oh yeah, mum and dad have just made <laughs> yeah, dinner, I'm off. I'm out. <laughs> we have thought of that. So sorry, Frank. <sighs> I was awful. Then, I mean, even day three, there was fights on the back of the camera truck. There was some drunks came along, tried to nick Winnie Baker. She went in a, her vehicle moved because oh, it was too far no. from the set and it smashed the window. She fired another model off the set. I mean, it was just awful. I remember sitting on my bed, on the edge of my bed on day three after that awful laundrette. And I just stood looking at my feet. It was about five in the morning. I had about two hours sleep. I was just looking at my feet, sitting on the edge of the bed, thinking, what am I doing? But so, you know, I'm a great believer in what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. More. So yeah, they do. They make you stronger. You learn more. You, you kind learn. Of, you, yeah, and and I guess it's it's one of those. I guess for anyone listening that has never been on a film set before, you're going to have those days, and it's then the point where you kind of that's the point where you go, I love it, I hate it. It's like the Caesar's thumb up or down. And if you can that, do that yeah. in your role yeah. and still kind of wake up the next morning, you you found you're, you're lucky. Yeah, you're I totally again. agree. I totally agree. It, it definitely is the sort of stuff. I, you know, I've sadly there've been a couple of people probably along the way who've worked for me that you know got to that point and then thought, you know what, this isn't for me. And that's completely legit. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. you know, listen, there's a certain amount of you know, what does it say, the masochism probably about you know putting yourself through this stuff. And I and I still do. I mean, I'm still you know, I still like to produce when I can. Um, uh, because I enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy the challenge. You know, it's the unexpected. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like this, this job, 
uh, you know, no two are the same. So you never stop learning. I mean, you know, yeah, of course there's some similarities and the basic premise is, is, is the same, but there's always something to, you know, there's that, you know, that location that you've been looking for for months and it, whatever, how long, and you're like, oh God, this is it, we found it, it's the perfect location, it's a street, it's the right building, it's the right, you know, the light's in the right place at the right time, this is exactly where we need to be to shoot this shot. You turn up on the day of the shoot and they've, they've erected a load of building works outside of the set and you can't shoot it, you're like, yeah. Did nobody have? How did we yeah. not know? But that's the stuff that you have to deal with, and that's the stuff that kind of makes it exciting. You know, thinking on your feet. How can we work this out? You know, how many times have you been on set? We, you know, when 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 it turns out that they're you know they're renovating the house next door, and you've got a yeah. drill going all day. Yeah. And how do you deal with that? You know, and if you've got a building, Is that part site? of the beauty of production of the of the pre-production where you're kind of trying to figure out. What could second go guess. wrong and try and second guess everything? Yeah, yeah. but you can't. I mean, there's what no way. Anybody says they can yeah. is lying. There's no way you can. You can do your best. You can search. You know, your, your, your location manager can do a search. That so he can ask the council. You know, but you're dealing with. You know, you're dealing with a lot of different moving parts, and mm. to get them all, you know, running in the right way, in the right order, at the right time, is, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for slip ups, and it's and it's really how you how you how you deal in those moments how you react in those moments that sort of sort of defines you and whether or not it is the right job for you you know and there are some people you know who are there the whole time i'm always on set looking around just looking to see you know what's going on I'm, i don't i'm not a winnie bago you know at my, at my computer guy I'm, I'm on set and i like to move around talk to people and see what's going on because i think you know, you if you're you know a producer, you're in charge, right? I mean, you know, it doesn't sound too yeah. You're and you're responsible. I guess that's a better way of putting it. So that you know, you want you, the last thing you ever want is for anybody to get hurt in your set. So you're kind of on edge the whole time, always looking, watching, seeing what's happening, what people are doing. And of course, you're working. Hopefully, if you're lucky. You're working with excellent people, which I always do, um, and I'm very lucky for that. They've got my back, so I don't. I really yeah. don't have much to worry about. But that doesn't mean you don't. You know, you're still looking. You're paying attention watching what's going on so um, now that yeah. looking so when you're when you were like production managing and you're looking at all these producers that you work for was there like a thing or were there things that all of those great producers would always do or was it a very personal thing or was that you know is there is there like a a box of tools that every film shooter that wants to be produced it's like these are what great producers should have as a basis in their locker um not really actually i would say they, you know they've all been different uh in their own ways. Um, uh, how many, I'm trying to think of who I work with. No, I mean, all the producers I work with over the years have all got their own sort of style. Um, uh, and, and you sort of adapt to, to, to work with that person. I, mean, I think the relationship between a producer and a production manager um, is, you know, is, is really important. I mean, Waylands, Waylands was sort of interesting because Waylands had a kind of system of working they rotated the directors amongst the producers. Back back in the day, it was very common oh, wow. for producers to and directors to be a team. Yeah, well, not even see if things would work better, but just to keep things fresh and keep you know keep it exciting. Yeah. It was interesting because obviously Pauline worked for Chris. That was it full time when at RSA when I started, and I was her PA. That was that was the team, and we did everything together. And of course, if you do that all the time, then you get to know each other very well. I mean, Pauline always said, you know, the, the job itself requires common sense you're not 
it's not rocket science, so a bit of a cliche, there you go. It's not rocket science, but it, what it's about is the relationship between these people, knowing you've got each other's backs, knowing that you're there, you know, to help and to, 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 to wherever you can. And so the relationship would develop between the three of us, me, Chris and Pauline, it was great. We got on really well. We loved being in each other's company. We had a great time. Then I went to Wayland's and then now I'm with, I was with Alicia most of the time, but, but producing for different directors, Paul Whelan, David Garfath, Mike Stevenson, um, Jonah Driscoll, um, Frank Budgin, you know. Um, so I was working with different directors. So, so I got a kind of, but still the same product, but a producer um, because we had a, a great relationship and we got on like a house on fire. We love, you know, we liked, you know, we just enjoyed the same sort of things in life. Mm. Um, so she was, I guess I was, I would say that, you know, I probably, I would be very honoured if, if, if Alicia or Pauline thought I was even nearly as good as they were. Um, but I wouldn't, they were different. And Pauline and Alicia were very different in the way they were. They were very different personalities. Um, I'm, I, and I didn't really work for a lot of other producers, um, you know, full time. Those, those are my two main ones, really. Um, so I don't think there's, I think you, you, you know, you... It's you know, like safety. relationships is one thing and learning how to deal with problems and speak to people. They, they seem to be the kind of things that I'm kind of yeah. getting. I would say that's absolutely bang on. Exactly that. Thinking on your feet, um, relation, you know, listen, it's, it's not, you know, we, all, we all know this, you know, a friendly set. I mean, let's get this out there from the off, right? It starts at the top. So if you've got Danny Kleinman, for instance, as your director, you're starting off from a very, very good place because he cares and he listens, yeah. right? And that's, but they don't, and not everybody does. So if I go to him and I say, Danny, we've got this problem or that problem, I'm not going to get histrionics and tantrums and stamping the feet and screaming and shouting and wailing and gnashing the teeth. I'm going to get a man who, who, I guess we've built a certain amount of trust with each other over the years and he knows I'm not going to come and bother him with something unless I know it's important because I've, you know, proven myself to, over the years. So if I go to him, I can go to him and say, you know, this is, this is the situation, this is the problem we've got and we're working on it, and, you know, just appraising you and, that, and and he'll be fine with that and he'll react accordingly. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I guess it's, it is about the relationship um, from the top for me because, you know, producers will react under pressure and not always necessarily in a good way. If they're feeling it from the director, then that can sometimes affect the decisions they make and they may not always be the best decisions. So if you've got that relationship with your director, I, my own humble, that, that's why I think that working with a director and a producer is a full-time relationship as opposed to working with different producers is, is, is quite a good thing. If yeah. you can find the right person, obviously you have to find the right yeah. person. Um, um, but, but I do think that relationship is key because if, you've, if I know I can go to Danny, which I do, and say this is the problem, then, 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 then it's, as I say, it starts at the top, then it filters down. I'm not feeling an undue pressure that I'm then going to transfer onto my film crew because they'll react. They'll react. If like, they can feel me, you know, and also basically the first AD is the other one, right? You've got a, mm. your first AD, icy calm, you know, they're always looking to these people to, to for, you know, and, and if they, you know, if they're, if they're feeling it and they're passing those feelings on down the line, it can make a 10 shoe and nobody wants a 10 shoe. You, you want it to be as much you know, fun as possible whilst getting great material. Um, so I do think that relationship, yeah, I would say the producer director relationship is key. Um, you know, Danny's always been, he's always liked certain members of the crew specifically to be the same people because they know him so well. Um, uh, and it's like secondhand, right? You don't, you don't, you know, Danny and I can shoot and I can, I can, probably i could probably anticipate 60 to 70 percent of the things he's going to say before he says them. maybe even more amazing 
And that's, mm -hmm. I guess, for those producers looking to build a relationship with the director, you it doesn't feel like you can force that. And that just no, sounds you like definitely you two can't. just kind of got you a relationship. Absolutely. And I think, and the director has the feel, feel the same way as well. I mean, I've got directors yeah. I know, like using different producers. They feel like some producers are better for some things and some for other things, mm. which is another totally legitimate way of working if that's what the director wants. You know, I mean, ultimately, you know, the director feels comfortable with the person they've got uh, uh, producing for them, then the chances are they're going to be, you know, a nice, it's going to be a nicer experience for everybody than if they yeah, feel like they're working with with a producer that they're not sure has got their back or not sure is up to the job, whatever. So yeah, it does have to be. It has to be something that you both feel, and it's that's not always always the way. And and also, you know, to be fair, you know, there, as I said, there are people out there who you know like rotating their producers a bit because they feel some are better for some things and some for others. And if that's the case, that's totally legitimate. It's not. Mm. I, my, my preference would be what it's been in my career, which has been you know, mostly working with the same man. I mean, it's just been. Plus, also it does it does help when you consider who that man is that I've been working with for <laughs> like, our twenty years. It's quite. Yeah, we, you know. We've had we've had we've had some times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that that relationship then, and, and finding that director. Did you, you know, was it just one day that you kind of met this young dude oh, called Danny yeah. Kleiman and you were like, let's start a company? Or did, or had you, had you like PN'd for a producer that, like, what was that? How did yeah, you, how you find those, those people? It's a good, well, that, again, you know, I mentioned earlier on in this, in this chat, I mentioned how, uh, you know, a, a luck has played a big part of my, my career. And it definitely has. My dad always used to say, you make your own luck. And mm -hmm. I think, and I never really understood that because I was young and stupid. Uh, but as, of, as I'm now old and slightly less stupid, uh, I realise what he means, which is, of course, you can't actually make your own luck, but what you can do is you can help yourself. So I was, I, I instinctively, actually, because I didn't understand what he meant, but instinctively, I was quite good at, you know, if I wanted to, if, if I was sort of interested in changing a, 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 the job, if I got to a point, usually two to three years of all those jobs I listed, never did any, I did Clickland Film Studios for four years, um, but other than that, it was all two to three years. And after two or three years, I sort of found myself just thinking I fancied doing something different. And, and where, where I sort of helped myself, but again, I must emphasize I was incredibly lucky to be in the right place at the right time, is I would sort of sow a seed. So as an example, I was working at uh, Wayland's and I think I decided, you know, I'd been there for a bit and I just started producing and I think I was quite keen to produce full time. But I sort of thought in a way, if you're, if you're, I've always thought, obviously, moving up the ladder within one company is a very good thing to do. But I think you're always sort of slightly perceived as that person at that lower grade by the other people that were there when you joined. So what I mean is that if you become a pre-A, then a production manager, then a producer at a company, the same company, and the people that were there at the beginning will always have known you as a PA. That doesn't mean they'll respect you yeah. any less. Not. There's just something psychologically, and again, this is personal for me, not that we all feel this way, but for me, it felt better. So what happened was I was production managing at Wayland's. I'd done a couple of producing jobs. I did want to do a bit more producing. And I'd been, and Blink, I've known for years. I knew James Studham from way back in the day through an ex girlfriend and stuff, and I loved that. And I, they were doing some really great work. I happened to see a producer who worked at, uh, at Blink, and I just sowed the seed. And I said, you know, we were chatting, and sort of, how are you on, find out, yeah, yeah, chat, chat. And I said, oh, I've been looking at Blink, you know, they, they, they've got some great directions, they've been doing some really brilliant work. It's the sort of place I really think I could work at, you know, just sort of sowed the seed with this yeah. producer and she went back to James and said, Oh, I was talking to Johnny Frank the other day and he was talking about possibly interested in producing full time, blah, blah. And they had a guy called Dominic Murphy who needed a producer. Next thing, like within a week or two, I'd got a call 
from 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 James saying, "Oh, I hear you, you might be interested in producing." And, and this is no reflection on Williams, by the way, which I absolutely love, but I just wanted to move up into into, into producing yeah, yeah. full time. And I felt if I could go into a company as a producer, it's a sort of slight, it's a bit, it's a bigger step up than being promoted yeah. within. You see what I mean? So I'd done a couple of jobs, I felt confident, and yeah, James Sutton called me up and he and he and he and he got me in, and I met Dominic, and we got on, and I, I moved to Blink. So I made a bit of luck for myself. Um, but also, I was very lucky, and for Danny, um, Bertie Miller, who's a very dear friend of mine, um, yeah. and I'd known for years through the business, a good mate, and just a good laugh, and we, had, we hung out together and stuff, and he was at Spectre at the time, uh, and he tried to get me a couple of, he tried to get me for a couple of other directors in other companies uh, previously, very sweetly, but I, I didn't feel quite right to me at the time. Um, um, but I knew Bertie, and um, it was Steve Gandolfi, the editor, uh, legend, uh, who said to me, "Oh, boss, boss, uh, boss, James, um, uh, I hear Danny Kleiman's looking for a for a for a, a producer." Then I knew Bertie worked with Danny, the partner of his. So I rang Bertie up and said, "Mate, I hear you might be looking for a producer for Danny, and I'd love to throw my hat in the ring." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, we're going to see a few people, but of course we'll include you." And then I had a ra- then then uh, then very very sadly, unfortunately, Danny's mum died. Uh, and, and so that was all sort of put on hold, obviously. And then, then he, he agreed to see me at some point. I can't remember a few weeks after that, bless him. And we, we, we just had a drink in a pub. And he was due to interview other people. And he, and he, he'll probably remember this completely differently. But my recollection is that, is that we just said, Birch just rang me out and said, look, Danny doesn't need to see anybody else. He says, why don't we just give it three months and, you know, see how it goes. And if it works out, then great. And if it doesn't know our feelings, then we'll, we'll go our separate ways. Uh, and that was nearly 19 years ago. So there wow. you Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how it happened. So yeah, we gelled and um, I mean, you know, these are, wow, they were some amazing times. We, we, you know, this was when no such thing as a treatment existed. It was a, it was a, you know, we'd go in for a meeting at an agency and, um, and, uh, and then you'd get a call afterwards saying whether you got the job or not kind of thing. You'd see three directors and then they'd make was a decision. That down to, was that down to a director being able to just pitch on the spot then or was it just a relationship thing a bit of of everything a bit of pitching on the spot a bit of relationship thing um reputation showreel you know history of work um you know the the best jobs went to the sort of you know a handful of directors really um and then it was just a question of picking which one was available um and which one you gelled best within the meeting i mean that's what happened you know it was like Literally, you go into BBH. I mean, we, we did back in the day, we did an awful lot of work for BBH. I remember France as well suggesting at one point she might get us an office space in there because we were working there all the time. <laughs> and they were, we were doing some fantastic work. It was just lovely. And they loved Danny and, and Danny loved them. And it was just a good relationship. So, you know, we'd go in and we'd do a meeting and then you'd get a call saying, you know, yeah, okay, we'd, we'd, we'd like to use Danny. Or, you know, sadly, no, we're going to go with Frank or we're going to go with Jonathan or whatever. Um, and that was it. I mean, that was it. The, 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 treatment, the treatment process that we're now slaves to um you know didn't exist and it was it was you know it was i mean the treatment thing you know i don't know that that's really helped as much i'm not sure how much is read by the agency of the four thousand pages of you know waffle that we're expected to provide and i'm pretty certain i can tell you that the client doesn't read any of it so I, I do wonder about that. I think we've lost our way a bit there. I get the idea. I get the idea you want a bit more information out of the director 
um, uh, before you award them the job. I, and I think that makes sense. But I, you know, we've become, it's become a sort of thing, it's like a stunt. It's like, oh, who can come up with a, you know, let's, let's parachute the treatment. It's a job for the, 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 the army. Let's parachute a treatment in from, you know, a helicopter above the agency. Do you know what I mean? It becomes like these sort of gags. Nice and idea. Pra- yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's how can I make my treatment, you know, look better? And, and, and there are some brilliant treatments being made and written, and some are very inspiring, but a lot are really not. A lot is just mm. waffle, and I, I'm not sure, you know, how much they help the process. Also, I can tell you something yeah. for sure, which is nobody ever pulls out a treatment at the end of a job and puts it up against the ad and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what you said. exactly what we said. Yeah, yeah. no chance. No. No now, talking about all of that, you know, the, the treatment, the pitching process and all the rest of it, is there, a, is there a particular bit of the process that you're like, I love the pre-production, shoot I think is amazing, po- you know, is there one bit that you're like, you love more or that you're looking forward to more or is it just all of the processes are just as equal? No, I absolutely 100% look forward to, to, to the breakfast on day one. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I want. I can't wait to I get to all the on a plate. Day one. Thank you very see, much. See all my mates. Have a little moment to catch up and chat before we get going with the day. I, it's all about that for me. It's all about mm. building up to that moment. Not the breakfast, obviously. I'm a little flippant there, but it's yeah. all about building up to that moment of getting there, making you know everybody arriving on time, all everything being ready. Not you know, hopefully your heart. It, it, it's exciting. Is you know, you know what it's like. It, 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 yeah, yeah. You don't know. You're going to get there and you, you don't know that on the way in the car, you're going to get a call saying, oh, um, yeah, the talent's just called up to say they've got a really nasty thing called COVID-19. I've never heard of it, but it does sound quite bad and he's not coming to the shoot. And you're like, oh, that's, now we're in trouble, right? So, so it's exciting. You know, you're, 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 you're on edge a little you get the butterflies. Yeah, yeah, before the coffee and before, the, you know, all that. I'm, I'm, you know, just, is it all going to be okay? Have we done our job properly? Is everything, have we forgotten it? You know, so I still, even now, you know, after all this time, I love that. I love that feeling. And I, sadly, not enough these days, really, because I'm not doing as many shoots as I used to. But I still get it when, when they happen. I still get it. It's very exciting. I mean, the pre-production is really important, obviously, to get everything right. And you're trying to, you know, you're trying to manage everybody's expectations. You've got a budget that you don't want to blow. You've got a director who's got his own desires. You're hoping and praying that through the process, the agency and client have all understood what's in the director's head because that's not always the case. Oh, I didn't think we were going to do it this way. Oh, I didn't think we were going to do it that way. You're like, well, that's, you know, it, you're talking about, it's in the, it's an abstract, isn't it? Because it's in your mind's eye. Yeah. You, what Danny says he's going to do, then people will interpret how they want. Now, that might not be the same way as Danny'd imagined it in his own head. So there's all that excitement to come. And, you know, we try and prep ourselves. We photograph sets when they're done and, and ready to share before we get to day one of the suit, you know, when they're dressing. We send pictures to the agency. This is, you know, we've got a ton of props so that if they don't like the bed sheets, we've got different bed sheets so that we can try and prepare ourselves as best as possible for every eventuality. But in the end, it's, it's it, you know, it's not uncommon for people to get there and go, oh, that's not what I imagined. And then it's like yeah. how you manage that stuff. So, so that's very important, the pre-production. Um, uh, but it's not, but without a doubt for me, that the answer to that question is, 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 is the first, you know, it's breakfast on day one of the shoot oh, where shoot. you get to see everybody and hope like hell it's all good. Nice. And, you know, the, the build up to it and you were saying, you know, you try and you get prepared and you, and you make sure you've, you've, you've kind of thought as much as you can about everything. And also mentioning how your relationship with the director is important. Is there something that 
all great directors are they just are they over prepared some of them are just natural born cinema you know cinematographers in their heads so they don't need to write anything down or is there something that the best people do no there definitely isn't everybody's different i mean why the reason in my humble opinion why danny and i have been together 19 years and work well uh, as a unit is because we 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 complement each other a bit, you know. We're, we're slightly different in character. I think everybody that knows us would know that. Um, and we sort of we serve each other very well. But the, for me, the most important thing of all uh, is the preparation that Danny puts into a job is second to none. There is no. I've not worked with anybody, and I'm sure there are. Uh, listen, I've, I've only you know worked with a handful of directors over the years, but I, I've no. I didn't work with anybody over the years um, who prepared like Danny prepares for a shoe and he can't bear last minute changes or people not knowing what's going on. You know, the very opposite of Frank and not, not the, the I mentioned Frank earlier, not, 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 and it's not detrimental. It's just, it is different. And yeah. for a producer to be working with Frank was a nightmare. I mean, I'm sure all the producers that work with him will say we loved him to death. He was absolutely brilliant and inspiring and amazing, but oh, he was hard work. Whereas Danny's the opposite. Danny's like, you know, he just tells you everything. And if you don't understand, because actually a lot of the work that Danny does is quite complicated. Um, and and uh, so you do sometimes have to ask two or three times. Um, but he doesn't mind explaining. What he doesn't want is for you to come up on the day of the shoot and say, I'm not quite sure what's going on. That is, that is pretty much the worst thing you could say to Danny. I, I'm not going to mention any names, but there was a shoot and there was a post-production company and it was a person in that company who who's opening line to Danny on day one of the shoot. And he'd never met this guy before as well, which was a bit of a mistake because you should always, in our opinion, you should always introduce all the people involved in the projects prior to the shoot. Anyway, this guy turns up uh, and his opening line to Danny was right. What's going on here? And that was pretty much the worst possible opening of a day. That's <laughs> like, the sort of thing get here, that will keep them away from me for the next destroy two days. your day with Danny Klein because oh, you no. cannot bear people not knowing what's going on because he's very open about sharing everything. So there's no real reason not to know. You should know because there's no way he's very good at sharing his, whatever is, you know, he, whatever he wants. So, so, so for me, that, that, that is the most important thing in our relationship. But there are lots of directors who, who I think I'm pretty sure I think this is right. Uh, uh, um, you know, perform better or knowing there's a sort of edge of uncertainty it's an edge of making things up a not i'm not suggesting they make things up as they go along I, I, yeah. I, nobody does that but they they don't necessarily have everything as buttoned down as someone like say danny who does his shot list his shooting but you know, you've seen them they're yeah. you know they're works of art they, they, you know there's not you know it gives a first ad a perfect template on which to schedule out his day and you know but for the very very rare occasions um usually due to circumstances beyond your control it runs really smoothly because everybody's got the information but there are directors who like that kind of slightly edgy i'm not quite sure how i'm going to do this yet but i'll but, but when we've got a camera and we've got a dp and we've got everybody on set i'll, I'll work it out and that and that i can't that doesn't work for me personally right. and, and i'm sure right. there are lots of producers who quite enjoy the challenge but no for me i like everything to be set set worked out and exactly what we're doing and i'm not suggesting that that is a better way of working at all don't get me wrong i'm saying that is my preferred way of working and the results well, it's, you've had have been good but equally people yeah. have you know let's face it frank's results were you know just off the chart sometimes and, and he got there in the end one way or another yeah the preparate i get you know all that preparation that danny does you know, I then see it in Sean's schedule and I kind of go, right, I know the third shot up, 
they're in this. We need that. The inflatable chicken needs to be set. For the, you know, it's like all of that. Yeah. All of, you know, instead of all of a sudden, it's like, oh, where's this fucking inflatable chicken? You're like, what inflatable <laughs> chicken? You know, because no one's mentioned it. So it's having exactly. that, you know, having that detail really does help us as film crew. Uh, it totally does. It totally does. And I, I'm, you know, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is the way, maybe it is the right way. And maybe it's not the right way to, to, to make things up. You go, I, I guess there's a certain, you know, you, you, you don't want to over prep because you need to allow a certain amount of room for mm. ideas to develop on the day. You don't want to literally have, it's not directed by numbers. So you go, okay, well this, then this, then this, because obviously there's a certain amount of, of volatility i suppose um uh, in a day and you want to keep a little bit of spontaneity obviously you know one of the things that that, that 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 we do try and avoid as much as possible and it's not always that easy is to do too many um callbacks or or or, or you know get the talent to to, to to that we're casting for the job to come back and redo the script over and over again because they become used to the script and they know the script and then they kind of lose a little bit of that kind of spontaneous performance that you're looking for so we try as much as possible not to run through it a thousand times before the actual shoot. So there's something in the tank that gives you a little bit of the unexpected. Because that's the other thing is obviously some of the magic, some of the most amazing moments in, in, and this applies in music and film and TV and commercials, whatever. Some of the most amazing things, probably most of the most amazing things happen, you know, unexpectedly or, 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 yeah. or come out of, you know, nowhere. Um, uh, so you don't want to completely regiment it, so that there's no room for that. Of course not, but mm. but the basics need to be buttoned down. They they definitely need to be buttoned. As you say, if you got if you if part of the gag is a is an inflatable chicken, then you need the fucking inflatable chicken. I don't know where the chicken <laughs> come from. I have no I idea. Either, but <laughs> I like the idea of one. I want to look on afterwards. I'll be straight on Amazon. <laughs> um, now I've, we're kind of close to about forty five minutes, and I I don't want to take up too much of your time, um, but so. I guess at this point, I'd like to look back a little bit and I just say, you know, the question that I've been putting to people is like, if you could give yourself advice, do you now, if you could give yourself any advice and at any point in your career, industry related, have you got a point that you'd be like, fuck, I wish I'd gone, I could tell me that then? Um, oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, well, I think, I, I mean, not really. If, if, I'm, if I was going to offer advice to a youngster starting out, um, perhaps that's another way of putting it. Because yeah. I, I was taught, I was very lucky to get, as I, as I, you know, as I mentioned earlier in this chat, that, that, that about Pauline Hurst, who was brilliant with people, and she taught me very well. Alicia, you know, brilliant, taught me so well. Um, and I learned a lot from these, these people. Um, so, so I don't really look back now and think, oh, I wish I'd known what I know now then very much. But if I'm gonna offer some advice, then, then the advice, there's a sort of, the, the, the first one, which, which, which is from my dad, is just never say no. Because there's nothing really that is more soul destroying than somebody saying, no, I can't do that, or this is impossible. There's, I'm not saying you have to do anything anybody asks you to do, but there are no. ways to say no. There are ways yes, to, completely. and it should never be no. It should be, let me go away and discuss that with a couple of other people and see what we can do. And what you'll find from that is that you will come back with a solution. So you won't, yeah. you won't come back and say, yes, I can do what you've asked me to do, because actually it turns out it's not possible me to get you a flight to the moon right this second however we have found a stage that has a moon set at pinewood and we can put you on that right that that's the point yeah. but the point is give yourself a moment to think and what not what you can't do but what can you do what can you do and then go back with solutions bit of a cliche again but you know that that and then the that other thing great. 
and the, and the other thing, which is just the most important thing, and this is coming from me as a, as a, as a you know, as president of Rattling Stick, um, uh, uh, be nice, be nice. Just be nice to people. Stuff. It costs yeah. nothing. It costs nothing. Yeah, I mean, it just costs nothing. And, and, and you stand out. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's just the way it is. And not everybody is able to be nice. Helpful, willing, keen. When I was a PA starting out, I knew how lucky I was to have that job. I mean, it was an amazing job when I started for, for Pauline. And, and, and people would, you know, people in my, would give their eye teeth for that role. And I got it. I was gifted it. And, but I was running around the set. Can I help the sparks? Do they need, you know, can I, I was always the first one at the set and I was always the last person to leave the set. That was my producer. Uh, that was my training. She was like, you are the first one here and I don't want to ever see you not the first one here and you will leave. We, and, and to her credit, with her, we would leave together at the end. So we're helping clear up the location and stuff. We were first in last out. Run around the set if you're on a set, if you're a set runner. What can I do? Don't necessarily run. Walk with caution uh, around the set. Um, um, but who yeah, needs but help? Busy. You know, yeah, yeah. The sparks need help. Do the wardrobe need help? Do the you know, makeup department? Who needs help? Grips? What can I do? And don't be overbearing about it. You've got to have a sensitivity and there's a time and a place. Sometimes it's best just to leave let well alone. But, you know, use your common sense. If somebody looks like they're struggling or needing a bit, you know, they're wrapping out some equipment. Can I lift anything to the truck? Ask the questions. The crew will love you for it. They will love you and you will stand out. People will want you back. So, so those would be my sort of, so being nice and helpful, I guess, not just nice, be nice and helpful. And the same applies to office runners. If any of you are listening out there, any PAs in the office, you know, if you haven't got a huge amount on your plate, go talk to people. What can you do? Is there anything I can do for you? Make yourself useful because you will stand out. Amazing. Well, I'm not even, that's it. I'm, I'm stopping it there. I'm not, I can't, I'm not topping it. I'm not doing anything. Um, ladies and gents, Mr. Johnny. Oh, Franco thank you very Bezzi much. Dende. It's been Amazing a pleasure. Oh, I thoroughly you. enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't realize I had so much to say. <laughs> we knew that there was, we, we, I got the talker out of you. It was hard. It was hard yeah, to well, get you Yeah, going. yeah. A few, there's a few people who <laughs> argue that might not be that difficult. Uh, well, thank you very much. I've thoroughly enjoyed right. it. And uh, oh, it was I hope everybody stays pleasure. well in this horrible time and safe. And uh, hopefully, see you on the other side. Big love. Well, look, ladies and gents, thank you. Share it. Subscribe to the podcast. There's going to be loads of chats with, with such amazing people like Mr. Frankel. So um, have a lovely time. Enjoy. Keep safe. And until we meet again, that is a wrap. So that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I'll give it a shout at the end so you all know the name. It's the Film Gods Podcast. The what? The Film God Podcast.